Thank you, Tracy. Beautiful song, beautifully done. Well, good morning, everyone. Cold enough for you yet? We're getting there, right? Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Pastor Nick was in Hebrews chapter 1 last week. It seems to be the book of the week for uh, our preaching around here this time. Well, I hope you've had a good start to the new year so far, two weeks into it. We're almost halfway into uh, January already. It certainly is moving quick, and every expectation is it will just continue to do that, right? Moving quick. Good to see you this morning. I am today going to uh, bring some, bring some um, important questions to our mind as we think about the Scripture and what it teaches us. We're going to use Hebrews chapter 4 just as a launching pad to get us into some bigger thoughts. You know, life is full of questions, isn't it? Some questions catch us in the still of the moment. They come to our mind when we awake at night, while we're sitting at a stoplight. You know, important questions in life. Like, somebody has invented steel boots. I'm waiting for somebody to invent steel-toed socks. Would it be right to call the grandfather of the young family? Got this? Would it be right to call the grandfather of the young family old Mr. Young? <laughs> then an old favorite. Why do we park on a driveway and drive on a parkway? <coughs> Words mean stuff, right? They have implications to it. Today our intent is to not to dilly with silly questions, but to look at serious questions. And to do that, I want to introduce to you this term, bibliocentricity. Maybe this will be your favorite 16-letter, seven-syllable word. Bibliocentricity. There's some notes on the back of your weekly connect, and Hebrews 4.12 is where we're going to be. It's on the front of your connect. Just to give you a little bit of something to think about. Life in the Bible, and the Bible in life. This will be our topic today and next week. Today we'll look at the first part of this, life in the Bible. To do that, let's get a definition in our thoughts of bibliocentricity. The Bible. It holds the place of central influence to the Christian. What would you say today holds the place of central influence in your life? I trust it would be the Bible. I trust it would be what the Scripture says. Thus saith the Lord. Or when Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Or the Apostle writes. I trust the Bible would be your central place of influence. But we live in a culture that has many attempts to influence us. For some people, it's Facebook or Twitter or TikTok. For other people, it's a news channel. Very few people anymore would probably say the newspaper. Some of us are old enough to remember newspapers. But no, we want to focus on what the Scripture says. And what the Scripture says about important things. So I want to address this issue of life in the Bible. Here at Hebrews 4.12, let's take a look at this one verse and see how it helps to remind us of the centrality of the Scriptures. The Bible as center, bibliocentricity. 
for the word of God is quick, the scripture says. That word simply means alive. The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And to the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. God's word has a way to reach into our lives as nothing else can. Though it's Words were from human hands. It really came from the heart of God. The Bible represents to us that inspired text. These are not just thoughts of human imagination or human pondering we find in the scriptures. No, these are the very intent of God's desire for us to know. It gives to us perspectives and values that keep us focused and centered on the realities of the importance of life. Indeed, God's word is alive. I want it to be our focus today as we answer an important question about life. Let's pray as we start, though. Father, we indeed come today with grateful hearts for your many blessings upon us. We can all share our testimony of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your desire to impact our hearts and our lives with your word. We are thankful that we today can open the living Word of God, and I pray that indeed it will find a resting place in our thoughts, in our hearts, even down to the very depths of our soul and spirit. May it be and forever be our center of influence as we seek your will and desire to follow you. Open our hearts today. Turn our attention to your Word. May distractions escape us for these few moments. May we see ourselves in the light of your word, through the grace of Christ, your son, in his name we pray, amen. What's life about? It's a question that is echoed down the halls of human time from the beginning, it seems like. What is the purpose of life? What's our value to it? How do we live life? What is my goal? What is my purpose? term is popular today in some circles. What is my destiny? I'll let you define those terms or seek your own definitions to them. But I want us to focus on this particular verse as a jumping off point and allow me to go a little deeper with you this morning with this verse. Let's look at this slide and let's expand these phrases that we've read this morning and hear the depth of their meaning so that we can see again how important this concept of Bible-centered Christianity is. As we said, the Bible, the Word of God, is quick. A King James word that in more modern translations is almost always going to be rendered as living or alive. God's Word is living. It's alive. It has a, a life to it that will interact with our life. We realize it's an inanimate object. The actual book itself will just sit there on the shelf or on the tabletop. But its words have power to impact lives as none other. And that impact is felt through the reality of what God's word does to us. For many of us here can give testimony of those dark nights, of those solitude times. When we're faced with a challenge, when we're faced with a situation beyond our control, do we pick up the remote and see what channels are on? 
Maybe Dr. Phil can help. No, we go to God's Word. We're encouraged as it's brought before our eyes, as we hear it in our ears. It has life-giving capacity to us, as nothing else does in human form. It's powerful. It has the ability to give us perspective that nothing else can. Active, full of power, energizing. It's almost like it's able to give us spiritual CPR when we're just down to our last breath and we just can't see beyond the moment. God's Word is powerful in our lives. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, a sword is not something common to most of us. We understand what a sword is, but I doubt anyone here has a concealed to carry license that you've got a sword. We understand what it is. And the imagery here is one that is used by the writer to display the most powerful weapon of the time. Not the dagger, not even a one-edged sword, but a two-edged sword. The most powerful weapon of the time. That's his comparison. It's the sharpest of all the swords. We would compare it today to a surgeon's scalpel. It's precision to cut. It's ability to get into our hearts and our lives. That's what God's Word is. And what does it do because of these realities? It's piercing even to dividing asunder. Piercing, it penetrates. It gets into our thoughts, it gets into our heart, it gets into our lives. Even to the dividing asunder, an interesting phrase, it typically just simply means going deep. God's Word goes deep into our hearts. It meets a need. It encourages us in a way that the words of others cannot often. It brings us to the feet of the throne of God. And it causes us to remember who we are in His presence. What does it do? What does it, where does it pierce or penetrate? It pierces the dividing of the soul and the spirit. The soul is our human emotions. Don't we wrestle with emotions sometime? Have you had those moments? I really want to get them under control, but it's just beyond my capacity. And our spiritual needs, when we realize our, our depth of depravity before a holy God, God's Word gives us that answer. Even to the joints and marrow, another illustration that refers to strength and nourishment, the, 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 the joints referring to our skeletal system. It provides a, a structure to our lives as nothing else can. It provides nourishment to us in a way to encourage and strengthen us spiritually. It's a discerner. It exposes the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Our motivations and our intentions are laid before the Lord through the light of His Word. We see ourselves more clearly, and we understand God a little better. This verse is indeed a great verse to begin with, because I think it focuses, focuses our attention to the reality of what God's Word is intended to do. It's not just a collection of ancient writings, as some would say. It's not just a record of spiritual experiences some others have had is indeed alive today. And its task for us 
is to be that living word to infiltrate our hearts and our lives. Someone has rightly said, if you get into the Bible long enough, eventually the Bible will get into you. And once it gets into you, it will change. Invariably, it has to change us. And to do that today, I want to focus for a few moments on this issue of life. It is a question that haunts many. It's a reality that gives us an understanding that in the time in which we live, life is often questioned. Life is, to some, a very, a very poor value, even their own life. We live in a culture and a time where, indeed, there's an epidemic not just of a virus, but an epidemic of death. Abortion has killed its tens of thousands upon tens of thousands, yea, millions. Suicide in our nation is approaching 50,000 a year. And of recent time, what has been most attentive to that is the increase, the sharp increase, in the suicide of adolescents and teenagers. 50,000. Drug overdoses in our nation today approaching 115,000 a year. I know their numbers, but they just need to sink in for a moment. And the worst of all, alcohol. 140,000 deaths a year attributed to alcohol. And that says nothing's of the, nothing of the lives that's destroyed otherwise, of the families that have been decimated by it. Individuals whose path of life is forever changed because of the epidemic of alcohol in our nation today, and yet it seems to be everywhere. Life has value, the scripture says. And so we get to the questions that are often asked. Life's big questions. You can find these written about in history books, and philosophy books, and psychology books of every culture, it seems like. How to live the good life. Where, do I, where did I come from? Question number one, what, what's the origin of my existence? Who am I as an individual? Why am I here? How should I live my life? And lastly, where am I going? What's the purpose of my life wrapped into those types of questions? Many people today are asking, and I would say especially to the young here, how you, you want to define that, 20s or under? These are questions that will set you on a direction of life once you answer them well. But I'm afraid many are still confused. They're lured away by a culture that puts things in front of them, that puts social media in front of them, that tries to set up a following, almost cult-like, of here's how you should go with your life and what you should do and where you put your values at. If you were to ask those five questions, I think first to ourselves, but then find some individuals that you would be comfortable asking these questions to and you think they might be comfortable answering them. Maybe a family member, maybe a child or a grandchild. To get some insight on their perspective of what these questions, 
will look like in their lives. Indeed, there are lives of big questions. How does the world answer these questions? I found a couple of examples. From Greater Good magazine, Dr. Jill Suddy, in her article written just a few years ago, said, many, said it this way, many of the people I know seem to have a deep sense of purpose. She goes on to say they found ways to blend their passion, their talents, and care for the world in a way that infuses their lives with meaning. You don't need fame to fulfill your purpose in life. You just need to look to your inner compass, your inner self. How many times have we heard that? And start taking small steps in the direction that means the most to you. That's one answer. And I will tell you at best, I would say that's a very shallow answer. If that is your answer, you're splashing around in the kiddie pool of life. You really still don't have much understanding of what it's all about. You're just out to have some fun. Sad to say, that's, a, I think, a very limiting way to live life, answer those questions. I find it interesting that this came from an organization called the, the Greater Good uh, Science Center. In their publication, Greater Good Magazine, subtitled Science-Based Insights for a Meaningful Life. Well, all she gave me was her opinion. There's no science behind that whatsoever. Right. Now, if that answer doesn't make a grin, maybe, in a sad way, look at this answer. What is the purpose of life? The ultimate question, this particular researcher calls it. This is Dr. Mike Brooks. This was just published last October. From Psychology Today magazine, what is the purpose of life is the article. I'm sure you got lots of readers on that question. Here's his answer. We exist to continue to exist. We evolved to evolve. Inherent to our experience is that we learn, adapt, and grow. Health, happiness, and longevity are the payoff for this. He's still splashing around in the kiddie pool as far as I'm concerned. We exist that we might continue to exist. I almost think I could find answers with about as much logic to it from the first grade class at the local elementary school. There's just no depth of that. You're still back to the, well, just live life by the moment. And that, by the way, is a thought that has taken uh, the younger generation somewhat by, um, by the throat. It's called the YOLO generation. Y-O-L-O. You only live once. I saw it on a car license plate just this week. If you look at license plates much, or, 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 license, or, or bumper stickers rather on cars, you're bound to run across it. I see it on t-shirts, hats, YOLO. You only live once. To, a, to an older generation, we were lured by the phrase, grab all the gusto you can. But it's the very same mindset. Just exist for the moment, have a good time while you're here, and hope you can experience health, happiness, and longevity. I would have to ask Dr. Brooks, so you're telling me that someone who is unhealthy doesn't have purpose in life? You're telling me that someone who is unhappy doesn't have purpose in life? And you're telling me that someone who doesn't live a long life doesn't have purpose in life? The consequences of his statement are, multi, are, are multiple. But again, that's all the world can say. 
That's all they can hang their hat on is, well, we're just a... And by the way, if you read the full article, Dr. Brooks makes an interesting point to say how lucky we are to be on a planet that just so happened to evolve to bring life about that resulted in us. A philosophy that basically says we're just here from the goo to the zoo to you. Well, that gives real purpose in life, doesn't it? Let's look at life in the Bible very quickly. I'm going to give some statements and just read you some verses. I think they'll be obvious enough not to require much explanation. What do we think about life from the Bible? It has God as its creator. We are not a product of evolution. I'll address that at, a, at another time a little later. For the scripture says, so God created man in his own image. Genesis 1.27. In the image of God created he him, male and female. Well, that's a real shock to some people today. Male and female created he them. How were we created in the image of God? God is a unified trinity, a father, son, and spirit. I think the image, the word there in Hebrew implies almost a shadow. That we too, or Adam at least, and Eve, were created in that similar unified trinity of body, soul, and spirit. Exodus 20.11 tells us, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. Life has God as its creator. The puzzle of life still mystifies individuals. How do you define life? We can describe life. But how do you define the origin of life? To go from non-living to living is quite a leap. And science still scratches its head over how it could have happened. All they can say is, we were just lucky enough. I don't have enough faith to depend upon luck that much. I'd rather put my faith in the truth of God's word. Life has God as its creator. That, that means that there's a, there's a divine purpose in our lives. God's fingerprint is on each one of our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. There's a real sense in which God oversaw, oversees the creation of each life. None of us were created in the sense of Adam and Eve, formed from the dust of the ground and breathed in, life breathed into them. For indeed, the origin of life has to be living. And the only answer to where does life come from is from a living God, eternal living God. What's our divine purpose described for us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, a verse I'm sure familiar to some here. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all the glory of God. We have a divine purpose in our life. We're not here by luck. We're not here just by uh, circumstance. We're not here just to live for the moment or just go after the gusto or realize we just live once. No, we have divine purpose to life. Life in the Bible has physical and non-physical elements. 
Everyone here, let me double check. Yes, everyone here has a body. But is human life just our body? We now can express scientific truth that couldn't even have been imagined by the ancients and certainly not by Charles Darwin. That human life is now defined with three billion base pairs in our DNA strand. Three billion. That deoxyribonucleic acid that we speak of, often called DNA, that is in our cells and other, other liquids in our body. Your saliva has DNA in it. Where do those three billion base pairs come from? They represent information. Well, information had to have an author, a creator. Those DNA strands that we can now examine give us more insight, the reality of what life is, and it's not just a collection of living cells. Our bodies contain 37.2 trillion cells each containing a full set of DNA, most of them, containing a full set of DNA. Life indeed has every indication of creation. The psalmist would say it this way in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, for thou hast formed my inner parts. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a recognition today that many need to realize in their own lives. For to realize we are each fearfully and wonderfully made gives us a dignity that is beyond just human existence. What kind of human dignity do you get from an evolution tree that says you're just a monkey's uncle? There's no dignity to be found in that description. The New Testament will write about our bodies with some very convincing words. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. A question I have often proposed is ask someone who owns your body. I would submit to you the greater likelihood is their answer will be, uh, I do. Not according to the scripture. For a born-again Christian, our body is a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Because we are bought with a price. And therefore, what do we do with our body? The scripture goes on to say, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans 12.1. The apostle Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. It's, it's just your reasonable service. It's a reasonable explanation to say, if you put your faith and trust in God, then the Apostle Paul calls us to God's altar and says, present a sacrifice. Not a bloody lamb, not a, a part of an ox or a goat. Present yourself a living sacrifice, capable and willing to serve the Lord. But we are indeed more than just our body. 
That's the physical part of us. But we have non-physical elements too, right? Our soul, which is the seat of our emotions, our intelligences. You know, just from experience, we know people are smart in different ways. Some people are word smart. Some people are number smart. Some people are space, spatial smart. They see how things should be arranged in the living room or on the wall. Some people are interpersonal smart. They engage well with others. Some people are intrapersonal smart. They, they'd rather work by themselves, but while they're working by themselves, they can be very creative, very productive. There's lots of different ways to be smart. Some people are mechanically smart. That's the person I want working on my automobiles, fixing things. There are different personality types. Personality types are very intriguing. Typically there's four or some combination of blending four. I'll let you go look at some of the research out there on that if you're interested. Personality types. There's the outgoing person. Right? They call it the sanguine personality. These are the people you want on the cheerleading squad at school. Because they like getting up and motivating, encouraging, enthusiastic. There's some people that are a little more reserved and shy. There's some people who want to take, who have a personality that takes the lead and they're in charge. They're the ones who are organizing, and you go over here and do this, and you do that, and you set this. We need to do it all in 45 minutes, so go, right? That's their personality. Other people are waiting to say, well, tell me what to do, and let me go do it. And they do well at that. Personality type. Academic strengths. Intuition. But that only applies to women. <laughs> they all knew I was going to say that, too. A non-physical part of us is our spirit. But the non-physical part of us that is our spirit is only alive as we have put our faith in Christ. You see, we are born spiritually dead. And being born spiritually dead means we have a natural propensity towards sin. Our spirit becomes alive when by grace, through faith, we trust in Christ as our Savior. And as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. That's what he's talking about. The spiritual birth. So life indeed has physical and non-physical. We need to realize that. And that's a teaching very complementary to what the Scripture teaches. It has ordained limits. God has set bounds and limits in our lives. In Acts chapter 17, the encounter of the Apostle Paul at Athens is described to us there and recorded for us. In that passage, the Apostle will say, God has made of one blood all nations. It's an important statement. Humanity is one in our creation. God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, the limits. There are limits that God has established for us. 
He has set bounds and limits. He has set bounds and limits as to the place. We can only live above the surface of the water and below the peaks of the mountains, of the highest mountains. There's a zone in there that we can live in and be comfortable and sustain ourselves. We are limited in our personhood. We are individually created. And as the scripture says multiple places, individually created male and female. There are no duplicates to any of us. Even twins have differences and variations. We are bound by time. We will not live forever. Not in this body. We are bound by proximity. Reality limits us to being at one place at one time. We are bound by many things in life. We're bound by gravity, for example. You're going to do so much to overcome it, and you're going to do it temporarily, as long as you're on this earth. Psalms 8. What is man? The psalmist asked. And he asked before the Lord, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You see, we have been made by God to be put in a place in his economy. That place is a little lower than the angels and well above that of the animals. We have a unique place in God's economy. Life in the Bible is also described as having an eternal future. James 4, 14, for what is your life? Back to that question. What is your life? He will answer the question this way. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I was in a coffee shop here just a few years ago. I still remember this image very well. I had sat down and, and had my stuff. I was going to do some work while I was there. And before long, a dad and his young son, maybe three years old, was with him. And they came and set their tray down just at the table over. Dad set everything down, got his son in place, and he said, I'll be right back. I've got to get something. He stepped away. And I watched that little boy. It caught, it caught, it caught my attention. I watched that little boy. His attention was drawn to that hot, steaming coffee. And he, and he leaned over to look at it. What was coming out of that cup like that? His little three-year-old mind was curious. Reminded me of this verse. What is your life? You see that vapor for just a moment. But how quickly it is gone. How quickly it is vanished. Like that vapor that vanishes away. Our lives are like that. I think I could speak for all of us here today over 40, 50, 60, maybe beyond. How many times have we said to ourselves and said in public, it sure has gone fast. Sure has gone quick. Those of us who were at the nursing home just before Christmas to share a service with them up in Rockingham County had an opportunity to meet a woman there who was 107 years old. We were all just amazed at her health and her capacity at 107. I didn't ask her that day, but I would suppose that if I had, she would have said, it sure has gone by fast. Life does that, doesn't it? We've already commented just how quickly the time has gone. Seems like only yesterday when, fill in the blank. I was in high school. I was a young married. I was a dad. I was with kids, my kids when they were elementary age and teenagers. Seems like only yesterday. 
Indeed, the Bible has much to say about the purpose of life. Life in the Bible is described. It answers those, those questions. It answers the question of purpose. Why am I here to glorify God? It answers the question, where did I come from? I have a divine origin. It answers the question, who am I? When my identity is found in Jesus Christ as his, as his disciple. It answers the question, how should I live? For it gives us ethics in the scripture, eternal ethics. Oh, well, let's start with the Ten Commandments. Sermon on the Mount. The Golden Rule. Let's just start there. How should I live? Where am I going? For indeed, life has an eternal destiny, an eternal future. As a born-again child of God, we can confidently say that I am on the path that leads to a life eternal. That Jesus himself has gone to prepare a place for us. And that we have a hope and a promise and a surety that death, as Tracy just sang about, that death has been overwhelmed. The grave has no victory over us. And so we find ourselves looking again at the Scripture. I trust that we are a great reminder of bibliocentricity. The Bible gives us these answers. What can we say? I have no better words than the words of a man who wrote about the conclusion of the whole matter. When it comes right down to it, what's a conclusion? I have no better words than these. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes, toward the end of his life. Fear God and keep his commandments. Revere God. Respect God. Worship God. Follow God. All those are wrapped up in that one statement. For this is the whole duty of mankind. That's it. Wrap it up just that simply. So all I can ask today is the question that the scripture asks. Where are you in relation to God through Jesus Christ? These other questions are all important, but there's none more important than are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust and faith in him so that your eternity is set? It doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't make us sinless. It doesn't make us free from the travails of this life. We enjoy singing about the sweet by and by. But in the meantime, we live in the nasty now and now. And those perspectives from the scripture will help us as we work our way through each day, each succeeding day that will lead to a succeeding week, a succeeding month, a succeeding year, a succeeding decade, to a succeeding event that will echo us, or escort us rather, into the, to the halls of eternity. I trust today you can say that your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but if not, today is a day of salvation. Will you accept Jesus Christ? Will you simply bow before him and confess your need as a sinner? That you have sinned. That you have fallen short of all that God expects us to do. Because as humans, we all do. Will you receive the one who says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I will come in. A simple prayer with those thoughts. 
a recognition of repentance, a recognition of faith, and a recognition of the truth that Christ provides eternal life and is the only way of eternal life. Today, that's what the Scripture calls us to. So today, life in the Bible. I trust you'll be able to be returned next week when we'll talk about the Bible in life. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for our time today. For a few moments, we set aside the cares, the distractions, the demands of life, and we focus our attention on your word. And on this important question, what is life? The joy of the scriptures is to know Christ. To know him is to know life eternal. To know him is to have a living spirit by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to be born again. I pray that you'll work in each heart and do that which is needed. Draw us as Christians closer to you. Help us to be examples and witnesses ourselves in word and in deed of what Christ has done for us. Maybe today you need to work in hearts, Father. We pray that you'll do that. May the Holy Spirit have liberty in each life as needed. We pray that you'll be honored through our time as we dismiss here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you to stand as we close this morning.